The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galena. And as always, I am joined by a mastermind of fantasy baseball. You know him, you love him. Scott Chu, how's it going there? Scott. I didn't realize that was going to be me that you'd be talking about. I, I didn't <laughs> Thought see I was anyone bring else, someone else in, in, uh, in the Zencaster. So I was like, who the heck did Joe bring on? A master. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, <laughs> think things are going take good. Take a bow. Take Just, a bow. Yeah, right. Uh, things are going good. Just um, in, enjoying uh, the last couple of months before the wife has twins. Happy times for you and the missus there, Scott. Congratulations to you both. And make sure to pamper that wife of yours. So uh, it's been uh, an exciting couple of weeks since we last spoke there, Scott. I mean, winter meetings saw a, a flurry of action. There was drama, intrigue, mystery. You know, and I'm going to start, of course. Where am I going to start? Aaron Judge, right? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it st- all started with the uh, baseball insider and New York Post columnist uh, John Heyman. He tweeted out that it appeared that Arson Judge was heading to the Giants. Who the heck is Arson Judge? But anyway, <laughs> he quickly retracted it. But then uh, Susan Slusser, a really great Giants beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, she sends out a tweet after John Heyman's tweet saying that there was rumbling among Giant players and other personnel that Judge was coming aboard. More intrigue, right? Yeah, so that was on Tuesday. Needless to say, Scott, as a Yankee fan, I was very nervous. But then Yankee owner Hal Steinbrenner, who was on vacation in Italy, uh, where he uh, had an audience with the Pope. Uh, I don't know, maybe Hal was uh, seeking some divine intervention. Maybe even asked the Pope if Judge was worth nine years and $360 million. Who knows? But uh, I'm sure he was eating tons of pasta, drinking plenty of vino. But he took the time. Uh, to swoop in, and he gave Judge what Judge was asking for, nine years, $360 million. Kudo to Hal Steinbrenner there, Scott, for stepping up, getting the deal done. And and this is shades of his dad, George Steinbrenner. And and if you read about George Steinbrenner's pursuit of Hall of Famer Reggie Jackson, I mean, it was Thanksgiving Day, 1976. And while everyone else was saying, hey, pass the mashed potatoes and give me some more cranberry sauce, George Steinbrenner was sitting in the hotel lobby where Reggie was staying in New York, and he wouldn't leave until Reggie signed with the Yanks. So uh, Reggie was quoted as saying, the reason I'm a Yankee is that George Steinbrenner out-hustled everyone else. So there's a lesson to be learned here, Scott, for everyone. By the way, that, that contract that Reggie Jackson signed in the past, $3 million bucks, five-year contract. And included a Rolls Royce, but uh, <laughs> just happy that Judge is a Yankee once again. You know, first things first. I'll never, I'll never be one of those people that thinks the team ownership is spending too much, right? Like spend that money. I, I think it was interesting to you know hear the. You know, I don't know if it was right from Judge's mouth, but kind of just saying that his legacy was more important than the money because he was going to mm-hmm. get you know a boatload of it no matter where he went. Right? Mm-hmm. Would have been a big, would have been a big ad for. For the Giants, I think that would have been, you know, interesting. I'm not sure this moves the fantasy needle that much, right? right. This was a mm-hmm. massive power source with great OBP, all that mm-hmm. stuff, no matter where he went. Maybe, you know, if you want to talk about extreme ceiling, 
Yankee Stadium probably gives him, you know, five, maybe up to five more home runs in mm-hmm. in the most extreme of situations, probably more like two to three. Because, you know, when he hits home runs, he doesn't, you know, he's not scraping fences, right? I mean, right. he's hitting, he's hitting upper deck and upper deck in one place is usually over the fence somewhere else. So it's, it's great for the Yankees. I'm happy for Yankee fans. I'm happy for Aaron Judge. I, I think he, he's definitely, you know, he's the heart and soul of that team right now. And again, fantasy wise, it's just good to know where he's going to be. Right. Uh, it, I mean, the guy's going to, you know, his home run production is probably going to go down 20 to 25% and that it'll still hit 40. So, right. Right. Know. I mean, the, the 80% outcome is still the same, <laughs> right. Right? right? It's right. still, you know, if you're projecting, it's, it's hard to project anyone for more than 40, right? Mm-hmm. And for judge, you might let him get 40, you know, 40, or if you're extremely rosy, maybe up to 50, but that's about it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it, and in San, if he had gone to San Francisco, it would have been 35 to 40. Right. Right. I mean, right. that's, that's really the difference we're talking about here. The RBI will all still be there because I think mm-hmm. that, you know, the giants are a scrappy team. He would have found ways to score runs. Now I'm, I'm interested to see how the rest of the Yankee lineup goes, right? Like this was the starting point. Now mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see if the Yankees go after the other free agents that are on the market, right? Their entire mm-hmm. need of a, you know, of a shortstop who can hit, right? Mm-hmm. It, it'd be good to see them grab a guy like a, like a Danzy Swanson, or of course, Carlos Correa, right? That mm-hmm. would be, that'd be a big deal. We already saw uh, some big contracts go down. We'll talk about those again in a minute. But I mean, really, for the Yankees, it's okay. So, what's the rest of the team going to look like? Right, right, right. Where, where yep. are the rest of the hitters? Because they were so top heavy, and that was one of the big reasons I think that they couldn't take it to the next level. Because if Judge had a bad afternoon, it was hard to see that team scoring more than two or three runs. Because mm-hmm. once they got to the bottom half of that lineup, it was a bunch of slap hitters that you need all to get hits at the same time. Yep. He was the one constant for the Yanks uh, all season long. And uh, like you said, it'll be interesting to see how the Yanks fill in the rest of their roster. I mean, late, uh, you know, last season, Harrison Bader came back from his injury. It's good to know that he'll be in center field. Good OBP guy. Uh, A little bit of pop and some speed. But, uh, you know, whether the Yanks uh, pursue Benintendi, who is a free agent, uh, spent a little time with the Yanks. Basically, they need. And they've uh, acknowledged they need uh, more guys that'll get on base and be uh, on base when Judge and Stanton and Rizzo come up uh, to the plate. So, uh, But there was more intrigue uh, before we move away from the Yanks and Aaron Judge. More intrigue, Scott. Because uh, there was a, a story that came out about the Major League Baseball using three different types of baseballs uh, uh, for different occasions, right? So you have uh, Dr. Meredith Will. She's an astrophysicist. She collected a sample of 204 baseballs from uh, last season, determined there was a dead ball that MLB uh, promised that it would use and it did use it. They had, they were still using uh, juice balls as well. And then there was a third ball that she said split the difference. And she called that ball, the Goldilocks ball. Uh, and it, the measurements that she took, uh, those were between uh, a juice ball outcome and the dead ball outcome. So but she did say that most of the balls she tested were of the dead ball variety. But the Goldilocks balls were found used mostly in special instances like the postseason, including World Series and All-Star game. And when the league used commemorative stamps on the ball. So Dr. Wills also found other instances when this Goldilocks ball was being used. And unfortunately... Uh, all of them occurred during Yankee games. So you got to wonder were these Goldilocks balls being used during Yankee games, you know, when Aaron Judge was going for that AL home run record. And does that put a little <laughs> intrigue right there? Yeah. And I wonder how much of it is the fact that balls are made in, ba- are made in batches. Right. Mm. And so when you're setting aside a group of balls, for example, for that home run, you know, the AL home run record, they probably all came from the same batch. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know baseball's main argument has been this is within our standard variance, our allowable variance. And they just kind of seem to be going in between the allowable variance. It's interesting stuff. It's intriguing. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter a lick for fantasy because we can't predict what ball's going to be used. Right. Uh, at most, we can find out what happened after the fact, but because it's not predictable, 
Mm-hmm. Right. There's not much we can do. And, and quite frankly, even if we knew like, oh, if someone is going to break an AL or NL home run record, they might get a juice ball like some difference that'll make. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. would that have made any difference on whether or not you'd start judge or you'd start a pitcher against judge? Like, not really. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really change anything. So it, it's very interesting for the players, for the teams who might feel like they were treated unfairly. But for us, fantasy folks, it's the same. Right. right. It's right. just it's a variable we can't control for that creates marginally different outcomes on very specific types of batted balls. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything you said. And there's also that you could take in, it makes you think, though, you know, Garrett Cole uh, was given up a, a bunch of home runs uh, as well. So you wonder if uh, if it's true that they were using these Goldilocks balls in Yankee games, you know, maybe that could explain why he was giving up so many home runs. But, you know, like you said, it's not something that you could use when you're trying to project, uh, you know, a player's future performance because you just don't know. Right. I mean, that's exactly right. And and, mm. and for Garrett, you know, for the sake of Garrett Cole, his it was you know it was an elevated home run per nine you know and and all Mm -hmm. that stuff but it wasn't an elevated like barrel rate so there's you know there's a little minor bit of intrigue there but at the end of the day he still had a bazillion strikeouts a good walk rate Mm -hmm. and you know yeah three and a half era is a little worse than he hoped for but Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. if you told me like oh they they might have this other kind of ball so it means he might repeat his you know his 2022. Oh no. Right. Like 200 mm-hmm. innings, a boatload of strikeouts and a slightly worse ERA than you hoped for. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, we're not going to go through every single move that was made, uh, Scott, but uh, we're going to talk some of the uh, major free agent signings and try to kind of project how that's going to affect players' performance fantasy-wise, as well as how it might have affected uh, their ADP. Why don't we uh, take a quick break, and uh, we'll get right into it. All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. Joe Galina, Scott Chu. I'm going to break down some of uh, these deals that were signed at the uh, winter baseball meetings that took place in San Diego. By the way, we're recording this episode on December 11th, it's about 1 p.m. So if any deals happen later today, we're not going to obviously be covering them. So obviously, you know, from what we saw, Scott, in general, the game of baseball is very healthy, right? And financially, right? I mean, so many uh, big contracts were handed out, long-term deals. I mean, uh, Miguel Cabrera on the last year of his eight-year $240 million contract, Pujols just finished his long-term contract. When teams give out these long-term contracts, I guess they kind of expect that the the back end of it, players aren't going to perform to the level that they would in the beginning of the contracts. But hey, look, at this stage, with so many different teams jumping in and and offering uh, big-time contracts, you know, the Padres are big-time players. If you want a player, expect to have to make a legitimate dollar offer because you're going to find that there are plenty of teams out there that are ready to compete against you for that player's services. That's exactly right, Joe. First, let's point out there is no trophy that baseball awards for the most dollar-efficient roster, mm-hmm. right? That, that's not a thing. Otherwise, the, the Rays and Giants would win every trophy, and they don't, right? Last I checked, they don't have any. I think the, you know the Rays might have a pennant or two, but the last couple of years, they don't have one, mm-hmm. right? And that's because... It's at the end of the day, it's still about getting the most wins, not the not the best uh, dollar per win ratio. It's getting the most wins Mm -hmm. to get an elite player like an Aaron Judge, a Trey Turner, Mm -hmm. a a Xander Bogerts. Mm -hmm. Right. You need to invest. Right. It's not about will the last three years be good for the dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. Right. That's not what it's about. I mean, let's talk about Xander Bogerts for a second. I mean, I think he's a great example of how the dollars and cents thing plays out. I think there was a lot of people that were like, that's way too much money for Xander Bogertz. That's uh, the the back end of that deal is not going to look good, blah, blah, blah. And and let's be clear. That doesn't matter, right? Like, yes, he'll be 41 when that contract ends. And his game is not the type of Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols game where he can still find ways to hit home runs. First of all, Xander Bogertz has been one of the most, if not the most durable player over the last decade that he's been in the league. Mm -hmm. Right. The guy never misses time, plays every single season, pretty much the whole season. 
He also is incredibly dependable. It was a down year this last year, but he's still very much a positive war player. He was a six war player, right? I mean, his 2022 war was the same as Justin Verlander. It was just a hair under Trey Turner and Dansby Swanson, right? It was better than Carlos Correa. I mean, he was a good player. He's a, he's a very, very good player. And to get him, that means you need to pay a lot of money. You need mm-hmm. to pay money and you need to figure out, number one, that 11-year thing, you know what that's about? That's about manipulating the, you know, the annual, you know, the AAV, right? Mm-hmm. You're manipulating the annual value. You're letting it stretch out a lot longer than you think you'll need it. But at the same time, you were going to spend that money and you had to do it to get the player, right? It's not about, to me, you know, I, I love that teams are doing this because again, at the end of the day, it's about getting the wins. It's the same in a fantasy draft, right? You don't win the draft by getting the most overall value, uh, like the average best value at each draft pick. It's about getting mm-hmm. the most, it's like getting the most stats, right? Right. You win a roto league with the most stats, not by having the most efficient draft, right? Yep. Because there's more to it than that. Ultimately, to get the best players, you need to pay the most money. Yep. Trey Turner, he got himself a boatload of money. Aaron Judge, big money, right? Mm-hmm. Sandra Bogarts, big money. Because teams realize that if they're there's a very and there's a very hard drop off in terms of talent, in terms of free agents available, right? Like right now, there's there's really three big pieces left. There's Dansby Swanson, Carlos Rodon, and Carlos Correa, mm-hmm. right? Who's the next best free agent after that? According to roster resource, it's Elvis Andrews or Ross Stripling, right? There is not a consolation Steep prize after off. these three. Yeah, <laughs> there's not a consolation prize after these three players. If you don't get Carlos Rodon, you know what you have to go for? Ross Stripling, Corey Kluber, Chris, uh, Chris Bassett, mm-hmm. Johnny Cueto, Noah Syndergaard. You know what that means? That means if you need an ace, there's only one way. You're, there's two ways to get it. You trade for it, which not a lot of teams are all that into trading aces right now. Mm-hmm. Or you go and pay the money to get it. You pay what it takes to get Carlos Rodon. If you need a shortstop and you don't get Dansby Swanson or Carlos Correa, you're back to the one-year stop gaps, right? You're back to Elvis Andrews. If he can recreate any kind of magic, keep in mind he was not very good for most of the season, right? I don't even know who the next best shortstop is after that. It, Jose Iglesias, maybe? Mm. Who was fine as a Rocky? Like, there's these players just like there there's not this endless supply of replacement level. It's not a fantasy waiver wire. It's the real free agent class. And there's only so much left, right? I mean, that's, that's the reality. So if you need the ACE, you go and you pay for it. Mm-hmm. That's how, yep. I mean, once Justin Verlander went, I mean, even, even guys that already signed like Carlos Jordan was in Justin Verlander were their own tier. And as far as guys who are going to get more than a two year deal, it's Carlos Rodon and then everybody else. He's so asking for seven I love that years. the teams are willing to pay this money because that's yes. how this gets done. Yeah. There is not another option. There is no, uh, well, we could have negotiated better, right? We could have done this. No, this is the option. If mm-hmm. you need an ace, it's Carlos Rodon or you beg someone to trade with you. Yeah. So uh, the Padres give uh, Bogarts 11 years, $280 million, uh, a little over $25 million per year. Padres were also in on Judge, supposedly. I think they were going to give him, I think somebody was going to give him 10 years, $400 million. But here's the question about Bogarts. So he's going to be the Padres' everyday shortstop. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to uh, still serving his suspension for, I think it's 20 or so games, right? Um, so the only other position defensively that Bogarts has played is third base. Uh, Manny Machado has got that covered, obviously, for the Padres. But keep in mind, he does have a player option at the end of the season. But so when Tatis comes back, does he go play the outfield? Because they were using him in the outfield somewhat. Yeah, turns out there's a great place to put him. And it's what is now their weakest offensive position group. That's the Mm -hmm. outfield, right? Mm -hmm. It's Juan Soto, but then Trent Grissom and whoever they decide will also play outfield, right? Like Mm -hmm. currently I think it's Jose Azacar or they signed David Dahl, Mm. right? You remember the, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember him. (laughs) Remember David Dahl, (laughs) former first round pick, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, That that's what's left for their outfield. And they've had Tatis in the outfield. He is a, you know, he's a certainly an athletic capable outfielder, Mm -hmm. right? I, I think that's what I loved about this Bogert's move because with, without Tatis, 
mean, they had two main weaknesses. They had, offensively speaking, it was shortstop and outfield. Signing mm-hmm. Bogertz takes care of the shortstop part, and they can move Tatis to the outfield. One bird, you know, uh, you know, one stone, two birds, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what they were able to do with this Bogertz signing. It also makes them, you know, he's a he's very, you know, he has been great defensively. Tatis has not always been great defensively at shortstop, uh, only in spurts, right? Especially with all these injuries. So this is, I mean, this is a great play for them. This gives them, and it also gives them a reliable bat right in the middle of that order. Uh, again, Tatis will come in and it, again, it puts less pressure on the rest of the lineup, right? Mm-hmm. You no longer like now that you, ha- you have Haseon Kim playing second, but before he was playing short and you were finding, you were, you know, bringing up these, these guys to play in the middle infield that probably weren't ready, especially if you're a team that's trying to contend. Right. So mm-hmm. this really strengthens yeah. their team. Across um, so the then I'll... go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, I was just yeah. going to say, I mean, so then uh, from uh, the Red Sox standpoint, you know, they obviously let Bogarts go. Uh, that allows them to use Trevor story at shortstop, which is his natural position. He was playing second this past season. So, um, any of this move the needle in terms of, you know, preference of drafting for you? So Bogarts becomes a little bit more. Enti- I mean, the, the risk of Bogarts is what kind of bat is he going to show us? Last year, he was mm-hmm. fine, but certainly not the higher level player we've seen in the past. What we do know now is that the floor is probably raised a bit for Bogarts simply because of the counting stats, right? Mm-hmm. He's going, he was hitting in the middle, you know, kind of in the heart of the order for both teams. But of course, the heart of the, Padres order seems a lot more potent than the heart of this Red Sox order, which dries up in a hurry. Right. Right. I mean, it was going to be before it was Bogert's Devers and story when story was healthy. And now, you know, it would have been that that's all they really would have had. Right. Mm -hmm. They've got Eric Hosmer in a high spot. They need a lot of production from rookie Tristan Cassis. They need a lot of production from the freshly signed uh, Masataka Yoshida. Yeah, we'll talk about him. They need quite a bit of rebound from Alex Verdugo. They need a lot of things for that Mm -hmm. offense to look anything like what the Padres have, right? Uh, Even if, you know, Juan Soto doesn't go back, you know, somehow has changed in such a way that he can't be exactly what he was when he was a national. Like, there's still a bunch of hitters in that that lineup. There's Mm -hmm. still, you know, you're going to get Tatis back. He's one of the best offensive players in the game. You've already got Manny Machado, who last season was one of the best offensive players in the game. It's just a much, it's a more bombastic lineup, especially at the top. So it moves the needle a little bit in that his floor no longer looks quite so scary. Mm -hmm. And on the Red Sox side, of course, it does mean that some players are going to move up in the lineup just by that one spot, unless they make a free agent signing. Obviously, Tristan Cassis now gets a little bit of a longer leash because they need offense, right? Uh, It means that, Masataka Yoshida has more of a chance to hit near the top of that lineup because they don't have other guys to plug into the two, three, four spots, mm-hmm. right? Verdugo is going to continue to get run in that spot. doesn't really change anything for story endeavors for, for Devers. It's keep being Rafael Devers for Trevor story. It's please look something like the Trevor story uh, that, that we know, right? It doesn't change much there, but again, for really the biggest move is just for Bogarts and it, it takes his floor and moves it up. Yeah. Okay. Another big-time shortstop signed an 11-year deal. Trey Turner signs with the Phillies. I think he could have gotten more, but he wanted to play on the East Coast and got plenty of money from the Phillies anyway. So he'll be 40 at the end of his contract. Uh, For fantasy purposes, I don't think it changes anything at all, right? He's still, you know, a top five, maybe even a top three. You know, uh, he's going first in a lot of drafts as well. You just wonder, I'll just ask you this real quick about him. And this has nothing to do with his signing. This just has to do with the rule changes in baseball with your pitchers having a limited limited amount of uh, pickoff throws. You know, he's been known as a base dealer. Do you think that he could have a little uptick in uh, his stolen base total due to this rule change? Great question. I mean, so he goes to the Phillies who steal marginally more bases than the Dodgers right? Their, their light is just ever so slightly greener, uh, over the last two seasons, you know, 21 and 22, the Phillies have about 20 more steals than the Dodgers, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, about 10 a year, maybe one or two of those goes to Trey Turner, right? I think what we're going to see for Trey Turner 
isn't that it's going to give him a boost as much as it's going to sort of uh, flatten the curve, right? He's getting close to the time in the aging curve where steals become a little harder. The older you get, you're just that little bit slower. Uh, you know, that twitch is a little bit slower. So I think by these marginally better circumstances, you'll see Trey Turner keep up his ability to steal bases for just a little bit longer than he might have otherwise, mm-hmm. right? If let's say, you know, we, we looked in a crystal ball and it said, oh, we expect Trey Turner to have like five or so fewer steals because of aging curve and, you know, the Dodgers running a little bit less. Well, maybe he gets some of those back because of the rule changes, because of the situation where he's on a team that is a little more aggressive than the Dodgers, a team that probably won't win their division by 20 games, Mm -hmm. right? Like all these things that add just that little bit of urgency, that little bit of extra need, because the biggest thing about stolen bases is that they're situational. You don't Mm -hmm. just do it to do it, right? Home runs are not situational. Players are always trying to hit home runs. They're Mm -hmm. always trying to score runs. They're always trying to drive runners in. They're not always trying to steal bases because it doesn't always make sense to do so right? Even with Trey Turner, who's a high percentage stealer, right? He does get caught sometimes and you won't do that up five or mm-hmm. in meaningless games because there's an injury risk. Well, the Phillies are going to need that a little more than the Dodgers did. So that's where I think the steals come from. Just really that he's, it's all those things kind of combined on a team that needs it a little bit more, but it's not like you're going to project a big bump. You're just going to say he can keep doing what he's been doing mm-hmm. because all these factors are now going to offset that aging curve. Right. All right. Great analysis. Um, let's switch over to the New York Mets. I know that we're more of a uh, hit-centric podcast, but you can't really uh, ignore what the Mets have done um, since DeGrom left. Now, uh, since our last podcast, Jacob DeGrom obviously signed a five-year deal with the Rangers. Obviously, no change in his fantasy value. Um, Mets uh, responded quickly by signing the next best pitcher available, which uh, happens to be uh, an AL Cy Young Award winner, uh, Justin Verlander. Again, no change in his fantasy value at all, uh, you know, from my perspective. Uh, both those guys could be pitcher on the moon and their ADP wouldn't change much. But uh, just, you know, an aside, DeGrom, it seemed that he obviously didn't want to stay with the Mets, didn't give them uh, a last chance to match or beat the Rangers' uh, best offer. Uh, also, uh, my daughter's boyfriend, who's a huge Mets fan, he was a little upset that DeGrom didn't take uh, an opportunity. You know how a lot of players, when they leave and they post a, an online, you know, thanks to the fans, it's been great, you know, I'll miss you or what, didn't do any of that. But um, like I said, DeGrom's ADP not changing but again, there's that risk tolerance factor that'll de- you know decide whether or not you roster him this year. Hasn't pitched more than 68 innings since 2019. I know that includes the abbreviated 2020 season. But uh, you know, uh, uh, if you look at it maybe optimistically, uh, maybe being in a new environment, dealing with a new training and medical staff uh, might change some of his health issues. Um, he's no kid. I think he's, what is he? 34, I think. Uh, uh, and just to go back to, and I know I I talk about the Yankees a lot, but I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, Aaron judge had been injury prone. Uh, he started doing yoga. Uh, the Yanks breasted him when there was a hint of something brewing. And we've even talked about it. I think on the, on this podcast, like, you know, they were sitting him for two or three games a couple of seasons ago. And I was concerned, but it was the right move because, he's been healthier. He's been able to play full seasons now. So maybe this change of scenery could be exactly what DeGrom needs. I mean, it's not as though he had a lot of great luck with the Mets, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I'll say this about the Mets. I love what they're doing after losing two very important pieces of the rotation. Of course they lose DeGrom. And so what do they do? They decide, I mean, is Justin Verlander as good as Jacob DeGrom at, at, you know, when healthy and at their peak? No, but does Justin Verlander pitch a whole lot more? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they're getting a ton of high quality innings. Let me tell you, when you want to talk about two guys that can really electrify your team on back to back days. And I know this from experience. It's Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. That's right. right? When these Former guys were teammates on the Tigers, yeah. that is a stopper. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, can you imagine this? It's going to be hard for this team to go on a four game losing streak. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that means you got to beat JV and Max Scherzer on back to back days. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not easy to do. As long as you score a couple runs across those two games, they're going to get the job done. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's no inning limit limits on these guys. 
right? Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander are here to win some World Series, yep. right? Justin's already got some. Uh, Max doesn't. I mean, actually, Max does. He has one. But, like, they're going to do yeah, this. Yeah, with the Nationals, yeah, right? They're going to do Like, they are here to win games, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'd love to hear these two guys, like, grabbing a beer when they meet up in, you know, when they meet up, you know, now that they're both in New York and just be like, so we're doing this for real now, huh? <laughs> Remember the good like old days? <laughs> yeah, the good old days, right? All they need to do now is grab Andy Ball Sanchez and they're good to go, right? But yeah. They don't need to do that because there's one more thing they did for mm-hmm. their rotation. And that mm-hmm. was signing uh, to a long-term deal, Kodai Senga mm-hmm. over uh, the, the Japanese import. This is a guy who last season uh, in, you know, internationally pitched 144 innings, 1.94 ERA, 156 strikeouts. Uh, hits, you know, he's got a triple digit fastball, yes. right? And of course, as we see from many, uh, many of the pitchers that are imported from Japan, that fork ball, that, mm-hmm. that devastating wipeout breaking ball pitch that they, you know, that is, that is commonplace for whatever reason. And the guys that have come over, uh, mm-hmm. starting with Hideo Nomo and all that, just that fork ball that just, you know, it's either a splitter or a fork ball that just wipes out. I'm really excited to see, especially what he can do. in their first season playing in the states it you know hitter uh, big league hitters just can't seem to catch up to it eventually it kind of evens out a little bit but that first season when they transfer from pitching in japan to pitching in the united states it just seems that that first season they really really do well yeah i mean he was he was probably you know after carlos Rodon, he was probably the the free agent pitcher that was the most exciting. I know a couple teams were linked to him. They got him for a five-year, $75 million deal, which, mm-hmm. you know, shows some of the risk they're taking. He's not exactly uh, – he's not considered the most durable guy coming over. Um, there's there's some question as to whether he can pitch every fifth day. But, again, as we, we talked about this with the Padres, by bringing in that third guy, right, mm-hmm. he's really sort of – he and Jose Quintana are really the replacements for Taiwan Walker. And what that does – is takes the rotation and just stretches it just that little extra that they need, right? Mm-hmm. They no longer need like David Peterson or Tyler Miguel to mm-hmm. be that fifth guy every mm-hmm. day, right? You don't need that so much in the playoffs, but in the regular season, it matters how strong your fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh pitchers are because you need them, right? right? Adding Senga just deepens that rotation just a little bit to a sort of, you know, as we used to say with the Dodgers, that Dodger level of depth, right? The next man up is a capable starter. It's not how the heck are we going to do this, mm-hmm. right? That makes a big difference for them. They can now stomach an injury or two, right? They know that of the five, like four of the five pieces of their current rotation are going to be 34 years old by the time the season starts, yeah. right? Or older. Quintana will be 34. Carrasco will be 35 or 36. Scherzer will be 38. Uh, Verlander will probably be 40. Right. Yeah. I mean that. So yeah. having that extra little depth matters. That was a big signing for them. Like the single one, I think is what kind of puts it over the top. Verlander was already a great ad for them. I thought Quintana was a smart ad for them. And now they get to have those guys that are, that are useful pitchers, right? Like the David Petersons and Tyler Miguel's of the world. They they're going to get time in their rotations. Uh, and you know, they, they added, uh, Last Alicia year, trade, they got Joey Lucchese. I mean, they've got mm-hmm. guys to fill those extra innings. Yeah. Right. That's a big deal. I think this team is going all in. I think they're going to be really exciting to watch. Yeah. Win now. And uh, uh, Steve Cohen, Mets owner, not afraid to spend money. It's good to see. You know, it's it, it's making for a fun year uh, for 2023. Uh, Senga, by the way, if you're looking for him, you know, either baseball reference or uh, I think his first name is spelled differently by some people, but uh, K-O-U-D-A-I is how you spell his first name according to baseball reference, Senga, S-E-N-G-A. So if you want to look up his stats, but uh, 2.42 ERA in 11 seasons playing in Japan. Uh, Love the K rate, uh, 10 over uh, nine innings pitched. Not loving the walk rate though, 3.4 per nine innings, but you know, uh, but I'm I'm with you. I love what the Mets have done. Uh, so their starting rotation: Verlander, Scherzer, Senga, Carrasco, Quintana, and like you you mentioned, Peterson and McGill. And they also uh, signed Alicia Hernandez, uh, who you know has had some injury concerns. But you know, if there's injuries in the uh, rotation, could slip in there, make the occasional start. So things are looking up in Queens. Although, if we're going to talk about the hitting side. Very interesting that they committed such a long-term deal to Brandon Nemo. 
So Nemo, a guy who he's always been like a bit of a fantasy darling, even though he doesn't put up these, you know, these amazing stats, right? Like mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would be surprised to see that he was a five and a half four player last year. A lot of it is because he, you know, he takes tons of walks. He puts a lot of balls in play. He scored 102 yep. runs last season. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the main thing that you get from Brandon Nemo. He doesn't steal bases. I'll be surprised if he hits more than the 16 home runs he hit last season. Right. That was, uh, you know, that's one, one less than his career high of 17. And I would not expect more than that, but he can score a boatload of runs at the top of this lineup. And the ratios are good. The batting average isn't as good as the OBP. He's had three different seasons, although not all of them full seasons where he's finished with a OBP over 400. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should certainly, I mean, as a career 385 OBP. I think that's, that's a realistic mark for him. Mm-hmm. depending on how much he wants to walk. He got a little bit more aggressive last season, but that still meant a 10.5% walk rate and a strikeout rate well below 20. This is a guy who he he's very valuable, but he's really one of these guys that we talk about a lot is like better in real life than fantasy yes. simply Agreed. because his contributions are a bit across the board. He's an, I mean, he's, he's an, a, an elite leadoff hitter. Again, there's mm-hmm. a lot of value here, especially in points leagues because he get he just gets on base and puts a lot of balls in play. I'll be interested to see how this works out for fantasy because it is also worth noting that this 151 games he just played is by far the most he's played back in 2018. He played 140 games in the 60 game season. He played 55 games, uh, but he's never been a full season guy. It's really hard to project him for more than 140. A lot of, a lot of projection systems are they're projecting him for like 150 games again. And I know that, you know, I tell people don't do your own projections, but if you're going to move around on one thing, it's playing time, right? Mm-hmm. And right now he's projected by, you know, steamer says 17 home runs, 97 runs scored, right? Mm-hmm. I'm probably sliding that down just a little bit because that requires him to play 149 games. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not sure I see that. So I'm probably sliding that down to something closer to, you know, maybe 15 home runs and, you know, 80 to 90 runs scored, which probably mm-hmm. means I'm not going to get to draft him, uh, Brandon Nemo much, but it's worth, it's just something to keep in mind that, as you're early in the season, we're all going through these projections and looking for values and, and ADPs are heavily influenced by them. Brandon Nemo is a great contributor, but you, you take on great playing time risk, bringing mm. him on. Yeah. Uh, I compare him a lot to uh, maybe a guy like Alex Verdugo, uh, Red Sox outfielder. Um, Verdugo might hit for a slightly higher average. Yeah. Slightly uh, lower him. OBP. Yeah. Same, same yeah. concept though, right? Mm-hmm. This tons of contact, no mm-hmm. loud tool sort of guy. Right. Their value is, extremely tied to where they are in the lineup and mm-hmm. who hits behind them. Right. Yeah. But uh, like you said, uh, batting at the top of that Mets lineup, those first five batters in the uh, projected lineup, uh, very impressive. You, you know, Nemo, then you got Starling Marte, Francisco Lindor, uh, Alonzo batting cleanup, and then Jeff McNeil and Mark Canna. Uh Gets a little dicey <laughs> towards the end there with Vogelbeck and Escobar and, and Nito. But uh uh, um, you know, I know a lot of Met fans who are very happy uh, with the uh, Mets re-signing Brandon Nemo. And you're right. It was a pretty uh, generous contract, but a uh, very good leadoff hitter. Um, so uh, Jose Abreu, we, we spoke about him when we did our first base preview. Lance, I think in a really great spot, uh, Scott, signs with the Astros on a three-year deal. Um, we spoke about him that he only hit 15 home runs last season, but he would have hit 22 if he played all his games at Minute Maid Park, if that means anything to you. ADP prior to the trade to the Astros was a 126. Um, ADP after was 102. So basically, he uh, cost you an extra two rounds since he got traded. Um, you know, it used to be a guy that you could count on for 30 home runs and 100 RBI. Uh, I think he could approach that again in this lineup. Yeah, the home runs will be a question mark. This is such a great signing for the Astros. The rich get richer. Mm. They had Yuli Gurriel. And what is Jose Abreu apart from a much improved version of Yuli Gurriel, Mm. right? Puts a ton of balls in place still, doesn't strike out, hits for a great average even when he struggles. Like his worst season-long average is like 261. Mm -hmm. Uh, His career average, 292. Basically, he has all the power that Yuli doesn't have save for a incredible four month streak in uh, tw- or 2019, right? This is 
everything you'd want. If, if you're in a dynasty league, this means that you don't, you're no longer in any hurry to move Jose Abreu. Or if you're not a contender, this makes Jose Abreu much more attractive uh, mm-hmm. for folks that are trying to, to win. Now you, you're going to get at least two or three more good seasons from this guy. Even like, let's, let's say that the home run power is now closer to 20 than 30, right? Let's say the 15 to 20 home run sticks around. That's what we saw with Yuli Gurriel forever. And he remained valuable. And I assure you, Mm -hmm. Jose Abreu is better than that. Mm -hmm. He is better than what Yuli Gurriel has been, right? This is something where you could not have asked for a better landing spot because few teams needed a first baseman like him that would have instantly, you know, that no matter what happens, they'll insert him right in the middle of that lineup, Mm -hmm. right? Like other teams are going to do it, but you wouldn't have expected a contender like the Astros to do this. They did. And it, it bodes extremely well, right? I think he'll continue to be, you know, and, and then as much as we talk about how the, uh, how the offense wasn't as good from a fantasy perspective, like war actually indicates this was his best season since 2017, not including mm-hmm. 2020 where he got about three, you know, almost three runs in 60 games. Cause he went on an unbelievable power streak, but I mean, he was, he was still very good in terms of uh, he's, he's okay defensively, but he hit three Oh four. If he does that, for the Astros, 100 RBI are in the back. There is yes. no way, even if he has the same batting average in home runs this coming season, uh, Jose Abreu, if he only gets the 15 home runs and hits 304 in 679 plate appearances, you can, I mean, you can bet the farm that he'll have more than 85 runs and 75 RBI for these Astros, mm-hmm. right? That's yep. a big Agreed. deal. Mm-hmm. So even if that's, even if last season is the new norm, right? Forget about 85 runs scored and 75 RBI and start talking about 90 runs scored, 90 RBI, right? Mm-hmm. That that with a 304 batting average, even if it's only 15 to 20 home runs, is still a very valuable player. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and uh, let's move on to the Red Sox. Uh, a lot of Red Sox fans upset with the team, obviously, for uh, letting Xander Bogarts walk. And then a couple of years ago, they traded away Mookie Betts. And, uh, you know, now they're speculating that uh, Rafael Devers, how long is he going to be a Red Sox as the uh, Red Sox uh, big market team, but kind of running <laughs> the show as if they weren't. But uh, they did make a very nice signing. I, I like uh, the signing of Masataka Yoshida, who you referenced earlier. Five years, 90 million. Uh, he's 5'8", 176 pounds, but was a pretty decent power hitter in his time in Japan. What I love is that in seven seasons, he has a 419 OBP, uh, 326 batting average. Um, uh, as a lefty, I wish the Yankees would have signed him, to tell you the truth. But uh, there's a nice signing for for the Red Sox. I mean, you tend to kind of compare, uh, you know, uh, Yoshida is coming from Japan to, to say a Suzuki uh, who uh, signed a five-year $85 million deal with the Cubs last year. And he started out hot and he kind of cooled off, but uh, Yoshida with the, this 419 OBP, I, I think uh, he's going to make some noise. He is. He's a different kind of player, right? So say a Suzuki really brought like a power speed combo in. That's not exactly what you're going to get from Yoshida. He's, not, you know, not a huge home run guy. He he hit, you know, about 21 in each of the last two seasons in Japan. Uh, what you're getting more of is honestly a guy that we both mentioned earlier. You're probably getting something a lot closer to an Alex Verdugo, mm-hmm. right? You're getting a, a leadoff style hitter. Tons of contact uh, does not strike out, right? Struck out 42 times in 515 plate appearances last year in Japan. Uh, the year before that, he struck out. 26 times mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. like this is not a guy who's going to strike out a lot he will take a ton of walks his batting average pretty much every year since 2016 has been better than uh you know better than 300 safely mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. his career batting average uh in the nippon league is 327 that mm-hmm. might not translate to 327 total over here but i'll tell you that the the strikeout rate and stuff does right even if it gets a little worse he is not going to strike out a lot. This is going to be a big points league ad. I think you're going to be left wanting on the home runs and stolen bases, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'd be stunned if he gets to 20 home runs in his first season in the major leagues. He'll get more games, so that gives him a shot at it. They they don't always play. Uh, you know, in Japan the last few seasons, he's only played about 120-ish games. 
uh, per season since 2020. Uh, before that, he played a little bit more. But what you're going to see is a guy who makes a ton of contact. He'll be a points league darling probably right out the gate. This is mm-hmm. There's a reason they're slotting him right into the leadoff spot, even with a guy like Verdugo already on the roster, because that's just what he does, right? He sets the table. And that means he should be locked in as long as he hits any, you know, as long as he hits even just okay, he should be locked into the top of that lineup, which means you will get to maximize what he does bring to the table, which much like we talked about with Nemo, like we talked about with Verdugo, it's going to be run scored batting average and anything else is gravy. Yeah. Right now, uh, based on his ADP, he's basically free. Uh, You know, I looked at his uh, ADP on NFPC. Uh, since 11, 28, 458 overall ADP, that's definitely going to drop as the season gets closer. So, uh, I like the move. Um, and, and the comp to, to Verdugo is, is a, it's a good one on your part. Um, is it, is it one too many, uh, for of similar type players for the Red Sox in their outfield or, you know, I mean, I guess when you look at what the guardians did last year when they just had a, a, a bunch of guys that didn't strike out much and got on base, uh, you know, the pitching held up and they made the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that you'll find is that uh, the rest of the league doesn't, doesn't love uh, how long of a contract they gave to Yoshida mm-hmm. because defensively he's not very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's interesting to see how that'll play out, but they have yeah. a, they have some vacancies at DH and at least they did something. Like, yeah, even if it yeah. doesn't work out, at least they did. At least they did something. I can't imagine yeah. what this fan base would be feeling if they didn't bring anything on board. Right. Sure, you can complain because Yoshida is not an exciting piece, but mm-hmm. he could be a very good one. He could be exciting. You know, I mean, I think the, uh, the Red Sox fans give him a chance and they're going to like what they see. But uh, I think he's going to be, like you said, either a DH or a strictly a left fielder for them because, you, like you said, uh, defense is a little. Uh, shaky on his part but uh, there was a trade that took place since our last podcast together Scott and the Mariners got second baseman Colton Wong from the Brewers and Jesse Winker gets traded to the Brewers he's back playing his home games in a hitter friendly park in Milwaukee so uh, Wong you know we already did our, our second base preview but overall he's the 27th second baseman coming off the board in NFBC drafts and, you know, if you drafted him, it's a, it's going to probably be in a deep league. And, and even then, you're probably going to slip him into a uh, middle infield slot. And you look over the past uh, three years, he's averaging 15 home runs and 21 stolen bases. Really nothing to sneeze at in a 269 batting average. Yeah, I'm sort of sort of surprised. I mean, he's he's been more productive offensively than I think a lot of us thought he would be, especially yeah. each of the last two seasons. Uh, you know, 14 and 15 home runs are actually career highs for him in his mm-hmm. very long career. He's played well over a thousand games in his career. The last two seasons, we've seen a bit more power than than I think we ever expected before. Uh, it, you know, a couple fewer stolen bases, but he should be. I mean, I think that he's a threat to be a 15 home run, 15 stolen base guy. The mm-hmm. thing is that the counting stats will continue to likely disappoint because he's still projected to hit sort of in the bottom half of that lineup. Uh, I'm interested to see right now roster resource has him uh, platooning. And I'm not sure I buy that because of what's of, av- I mean, Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty are not forcing the Mariners to play them. That's mm-hmm. just, they haven't been that good. And so I- I'm interested to see how that goes. He's actually the oldest person on, uh, on the 25 man roster in terms of hitters, right? Wow. He's now their oldest hitter. Eugenio Suarez is next at 31. Or I'm sorry. Tom Murphy is next at 31.7. Uh, but Colton Wong, a little over 32, he's the oldest. So this team's uh, certainly up and coming. He is capable defensively. He is, uh, he's scrappy. I think he's a great addition to this team. Uh, if, if somehow, right, he works his way into a top one, two, like, you know, top part of the order, like one or two, it would be a surprise. Cause that would mean Ty France isn't there and Julio Rodriguez isn't leading off. But if mm-hmm. he did, the value would certainly spike. Right. But otherwise, he's probably more assuming he plays every day, which I think he probably should. Uh, he's more of a little bit of power, a little bit of speed accumulator and not that good of one. So mm-hmm. maybe like uh, he's probably like close to that replacement level in, mm-hmm. you know, 12 teamers. But no. in your deeper leagues, of course, he'll provide a lot of value as like a 
and an NFBC style middle infielder. Yeah, yeah. And, and what about Jesse Winker? Do you like the fact that he gets traded to a more hitter friendly environment in Milwaukee? Uh, I mean, he had a, a really bad season last year, but uh, he's recovering from off season knee and neck surgery. So maybe that could explain some of uh, the issues that he was having last season. Cause you know, he, he's still walked at a, a very good rate, 15.4% walk rate strikeout rate was a little elevated from his previous season, but 18.8. But uh, when you draft a guy like Jesse Winker, you're thinking, you know, 25, 30 home runs. Uh, is that the kind of player? Well, maybe 30 might be pushing it. But, you know, uh, is that the type of player that he could be again? Uh, you know, the ADP has really gone down since the trade. Before the trade, he had an overall ADP, according to NFBC, at 354. After the trade, it went down to 265. Yeah, so here's the thing about a hitter-friendly park. You have to hit the ball, Mm. and you got to hit it hard. And that's not something Jesse Winker did last year. His hard hit rate was, I think, like 34 point something percent. I mean, just really, really low. Uh, He had been projected for 30 home runs in the past, but keep in mind, this was by far the most games he's ever played in a single season at 136 Mm -hmm. It didn't look good. Yes, I know. There and were even though he injuries. played hurt, which is odd, right? I mean, uh, well, yeah. we think he played hurt. Yeah, we think he played hurt and he played more, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a guy who, where durability has been on his side. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to call like a a rebound for a guy who's never really played a full season. His best season, of course, being 2021 for the Reds, 24 home runs. Excellent. I mean, excellent, excellent ratios in 110 games. Um, I, I think that it'd be great to see him play 120 games and hit 20 home runs. This is going to be someone that really is more intriguing to me in these shallower formats where I can cut bait. If it doesn't look good, I don't want to have to rely on him because you're relying. You need two things to happen. You know, if you've listened to this podcast before, you've heard me say, I hate it when I need two things to happen. I need him to be healthy and I need him to rebound in terms of quality and contact, right? I, I don't want both things. If it's just one thing, that's fine, right? That's why going into they last season, they may be tied season, together, we so though. In his case, I'll say, right? I mean, yeah. Again, I'll I'll give him a little bit of a pass because of those injuries, but and that's maybe... what you have to do mm-hmm. to to be at all excited about uh, Jesse Winker because you need you need them to be tied together and you need them to go the right way, mm-hmm. right? Because again, you need him to be healthy and you need him to look like anything like the guy he was before twenty twenty two. Mm-hmm. And you need you you really need the Brewers to like give him that long of a leash. I think the one advantage you have is that they could, right? They don't have a lot of other guys to DH uh, unless you know Keston Hira has not shown that he really needs to be a DH for them. Asturi Ruiz has a lot of things he needs to do. Uh, th- this team, you know, probably will platoon quite a bit. The back part of this, you know, the back part of this lineup, and really the whole lineup is it's not super deep. Right. They need a lot of things to happen when you're projecting Luis Urias to be your your number four. Like that's a little rough, you mm-hmm. know, so he should get all the leash he can handle as again, one of the oldest guys on this uh, on this team in terms of hitters, a 25 man mm-hmm. roster. The only player older than him on it. Uh, there's two guys older than him on it. Victor Caratini, who uh, is just a little under 30 and Christian Yelich at 31, mm-hmm. who is the old man of the hitters wow. for the Brewers right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, th- this team's looking a little bit younger these days, but Jesse Winker, again, you can be excited. There's no reason you can't be excited, but you're excited as like a last pick in a 12 teamer, mm-hmm. right? Because you are, you, this is the fantasy version of throwing stuff to the wall and see what sticks, mm-hmm. right? In, in a, in a, a 15 teamer or a deep you know, league with a lot of outfielders being rostered when you're taking Jesse Winker, it's because you feel really good about what you got. And now you can take some swings, right? Mm-hmm. This is a, if this works out, this can be a real, you know, this has the potential to be a game breaker. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this could be a guy who hits 25 to 30 home runs with amazing ratios. Can he be that? Sure. I I thought he could be a year ago. I still think he could be. But -hmm. now the risk is much higher and you need to be able to absorb it. And so the worse the replacement level is in your league, like, you know, the comparison between the best guy on the waiver wire and the worst guy being rostered, the the bigger the gap, like, you know, the sorry, not the bigger the gap, but like the, the worse that replacement player is the less interested I am in Jesse Winker, because I know I'm going to need that replacement player. Right. right. So in a 15 teamer replacement level outfield stinks, 
right? Mm -hmm. In the NFBC, because 75 outfielders are being started, not including guys who start in positions who also have outfield eligibility, Mm -hmm. right? So you're talking about like the top 80 to 100 outfielders are already off the board Mm -hmm. at any given time. So that replacement level is very low. Whereas in like a Yahoo 12 teamer where only 36 players have to be started in outfield spots. Yes, you get, you probably get up to about 50 total when you start talking about guys who are outfield eligible, but start at second base or are any utility spot. But then all of a sudden, if you need to replace Jesse Winker, you can, it's out there. There are guys to do it. So you don't take a huge loss. That's where I'm targeting in the deeper stuff. It's got to be a real specific draft scenario where I'm super deep in the outfield, and I'm looking to fill that like utility spot or that one extra reserve outfielder. And I can swing for the fences and go for Jesse Winker because I'm, mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever actually need to plug him in, but otherwise, oh. man, it's going to be tough for me in those deep leagues because not only do I need him to hit the ball better, I need him to play. Right. Right. Um, let's talk about a, another former, uh, Mariners outfielder real quick, uh, Mitch Hanniger. Uh, I mentioned that uh, we were talking about Winker just before. Uh, Winker's ADP 265 and uh, Hanniger's ADP in NFBC leagues. Again, uh, they in NFBC, they start five outfielders, so keep that in mind. But Hanniger's uh, ADP is 176. Uh, Hanniger signs with the San Francisco Giants, kind of a, an under-the-radar signing in a way. I didn't realize that he signed with them until I had heard he was publicly trying to coax Aaron Judge to join him in San Francisco, but, uh, basically 2022, uh, was a lost year. Um, maybe it could lead to some recency bias where guys like, and gals like me, um, fantasy managers overall who invested in him didn't get anything really. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you, when you draft him, you're looking for 250 batting average of 30 home runs. Uh, but he missed 113 days due to uh, a severe ankle sprain. Then he got COVID, uh, but once he did return, he produced basically at his normal pace. But uh, really don't see much reason why he shouldn't provide fantasy managers with upwards of, of 30 home runs and the 250 batting average again. Yeah, a couple things that would surprise you just from looking at that. His, uh, his average exit velocity and max exit velocity better than they were the year before, right mm-hmm. here in 2022, even though he didn't play as much. His barrel rate right on par right? Hard hit rate actually better right now. Some of that is small sample. Some of that is because he was still, he was still hitting the ball fairly well, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, the, you know, it wasn't quite as good. Of course, the slugging percentage came down a little bit. I think some of that would correct if he, you know, didn't deal with these injuries so much, got to play a little more. I, I somewhat like the projections that we're seeing right now from steamer. They're showing 24 home runs, 250 batting average. Uh, I, I think that'd be that's a nice splitting of the difference that that career year from 2021 probably just isn't in the cards anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Where he hit 39 home runs, 110 runs scored, 100 RBI. We're not going to see that. What we are going to see is the Giants squeeze every little bit of value out of him that exists, right? Because that's what they do. They get that extra half win from every guy that they find. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see him go to the Giants. I think durability had not really been a concern until, uh, well, actually it had been, he didn't play at all in 2020. Uh, he did miss a big part of 2019. So he's sort of been this every other year guy, but we have seen him play full seasons. And when he has, he's been great, Mm -hmm. right? We saw it in 2018. We saw it in 2021. Now, if he's like an Eric molds type who needs to go every other year, uh, you, you folks who have been playing fantasy football for a long time. Hey, remember Eric molds, the, uh, the old, I can't remember if it was even or odd years, but he, it was every other year that he came out. Uh, maybe that's what's happening here. More realistically. I do think that 25 ish home runs is pretty good. I think the counting stats is just going to depend on how much he plays. Uh, and the batting average will be fine, right? Mm -hmm. The OBP, batting average they're going to be a slight negative for you but they're acceptable he's a guy who there's not a ton of power always available later in your drafts and this is one of those places where you can try to find it yeah wow pulling out eric molds's name out of the uh that's a that's a, a guy that i haven't that's thought a deep of cut. that's a deep that is cut. really a deep cut yes uh yeah a former buffalo wide receiver uh uh, retired in 2007. Oh, oh, nice. they they know. There's, there's <laughs> folks out there, Joe. They know. They know exactly what I'm talking about. Just when I said Eric Mold, so like, yeah. oh, every other year, okay. <laughs> uh, right. So, um, uh, any other uh, moves that uh, you know 
you want to talk about, you know, Josh Bell to the Guardians, Wilson Contreras uh, signs with the St. Louis Cardinals, and Cody Bellinger signs uh, with the Cubs for one year. Any of those, uh, you know, tickle your fancy at all? So, you know, I can cover those really quickly. I can tell you with Wilson Contreras, this doesn't change much. The only thing I'll point out is Contreras had spent his entire professional career with the Cubs organization. So try to keep that in mind a little bit. Obviously, he's a seasoned pro, and I'm sure he'll have no problem playing in St. Louis. But keep in mind, he is filling big shoes, right? He is expected to be the replacement for one of the greatest catchers, at least of our generation, if not all time. That's Yadier Molina, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And he's also going to a place where he's always played for the Cubs, Right. Mm-hmm. Those are the people he knows. He's had the same. I mean, any of us that have worked in a job for a long time, he's had the same supervisors he's had. I mean, they've had some turnover in the organization, but it's always I mean, he's been going to the same office every day. Mm-hmm. So now that's going to be a big change. I'm interested to see how that works out, but he should still be a top end offensive catcher. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. And, yes. you know, the, the Cardinals will not be afraid to play him every day. That's for darn sure. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're certainly fine doing it with Yachty, who was considerably older, but they'll do it. So. So that's a good one. Josh Bell, your guess is as good as mine, right? I mean, he he was very much either he had it or he didn't last season. He had it when, uh, you know, things were with the Nats and things were starting to look up. And then when he went to San Diego, it fell apart. Now, maybe it was something in San Diego. We've talked about it before with Juan Soto didn't hit well when he went over there. Everybody really did not hit well when they got to San Diego. I don't know what, you know, negative secret sauce they had, but it sort of happened. I think the Guardians are certainly in need of a bat. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I, I think if he works out and can be a 25 home run hitter, I'm not going to I'm not going to keep dreaming on 30 home runs for Josh Bell. Sure, he's capable of it, but you got to stop dreaming on that because he just he's disappointed far more often than he's uh, beat our expectations mm-hmm. on, in terms of power. So I think he could be a very nice piece for them. Uh, it again, th- but the draft decision you're making is still the same. And that's, do I think he, he can be a good hitter for more than a month and, and we'll right. So Mm -hmm. there's a risk worth taking there, but he's certainly not a top five or six first baseman. Like we pegged him coming into 2022. And then with Cody Bellinger, again, your guess is as good as mine, right? A change of scenery is exactly what he needs. He's going to a park that uh, should be fairly friendly in terms of hitting. The lineup is not quite as good, but uh, that actually sort of benefits Bellinger in that the Cubs do not have as as much competition to Bellinger's at-bats, mm-hmm. right? The Dodgers had guys that they could just plug in and be like, yeah, take a seat, Cody, right? We got someone else. The Cubs are not so much in that position, right? I think that they have a bit more incentive to see this play out, right? Because they're probably not going to be that good of a team if they're going to get any trade value for Cody Bellinger. It's because they're playing him every single day, letting him get into his groove. Or if they play better than expected, it's because of Cody Bellinger. Right. So really most most roads lead to Cody Bellinger getting plenty of at bats. And if you're going to take the gamble on Cody Bellinger, it's because you think he's going to get to play. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, he did. He did find his way uh, into accumulating some okay production numbers overall, except for ratios. Of course, those were garbage. But he he got his way into everything else, even hitting often at the bottom of that lineup. I don't think we're going to see that in Chicago. So. You know, the compass is pointing north. I think that there's a lot of good things that can happen for Cody Bellinger. And Chicago is one place that can make that happen. Not because there's some amazing development gurus or anything like that, but it's because they're going to let him play. Yeah, not too much pressure, right? Right. The pressure is different. He's no longer Mm -hmm. trying to be, uh, you know, MVP candidate Cody Bellinger. He's trying to be recreate myself Cody Bellinger. And that's Mm -hmm. a different story, right? The, The Cubs are not, you know, the Cubs are probably not going to the World Series. Sorry, you know. Folks (laughs) Folks <laughs> on the north side of Chicago, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, hopefully, this isn't the first you're hearing of this, but they're going to give him a chance to play. And yeah. that's how things, if there's a scenario where Cody Ballinger put things back together, that's how it happens. Former MVP, uh, he'll only be 27 years old, but uh, last three seasons, 203 batting average with a 648 OPS. So uh, yeah, very few former MVPs get on the market at age 27. Yeah. Right? That's just no. not, that's not what happens. The Cubs are probably more than happy to scoop him up because they're, I mean, there's no bad. I mean, this is a great contract for them. Cause what it's one years. It's one year, two years. Yes. One year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No year, such thing. As a bad one year contract. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No such thing. It, yep. It's brilliant for them. Maybe he gets traded. If he gets traded, it's because he plays well. And mm-hmm. if he doesn't, He's, you know, his, his, the draft capital that you need to invest, that's throwaway stuff, 
Yes. Right? Like this is, this is, there couldn't be a better situation, especially if like you're in a dynasty league and you've got Cody Bellinger sitting on the bench. You can't cut him. Now you've got, now he's got a chance to be something again. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's a big deal. And then of course I'll, I'll just plug in that the Tigers did make a trade. They traded Joe Jimenez uh, over to Atlanta. They get yeah. back a couple of guys. The one I'm interested in, Justin Henry Malloy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's excellent plate discipline. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, some folks from first pitch Arizona talked to him, said that he was a really, really nice, smart young man. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to see uh, if he can make a difference using that plate discipline and turn it into more than just a hit tool guy. But again, if a, if a player is going to have one tool for me to latch onto, it's hit tool, right? Mm-hmm. And plate discipline. He's got that. Let's see what else the Tigers can take out of him. Obviously he's not a guy you're drafting or anything right now. He is a triple. He is going to be in triple a. He could find the major leagues this next year, but just something to keep in mind in, in dynasty leagues, especially because there's a much easier path to the outfield in Detroit than there ever was going to be in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was interested uh, to hear your take on him, uh, but uh, good stuff, Scott. And, uh, this was a fun show. Um, a lot of activity that we covered and I, I just was uh, looking um, at my phone just before we signed off just to see if there were any last minute deals that were signed and, and there haven't been, but supposedly uh, there's a mystery team in on Carlos Rodon and uh, it's uh, they're thinking that it might be the Cardinals. So uh, when we talk next time, I'm sure uh, Rodon will be signed. Maybe Swanson will be signed and uh, Correa might have a home as well. So yeah, the uh, rest we'll of the see. shortstop puzzle will be put together and we can jump right back into our positional breakdowns and actually mm-hmm. tell you what the heck is going on with Dansby Swanson and Carlos Correa, who, I mean, Carlos Correa's value is still tied to his durability, but mm-hmm. Dansby Swanson, a big part of it is going to be who signs him and where do they let him hit, right? I mean, yeah. that was the, that was the case with Swanson when he was in Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. He was more valuable. I mean, one of the reasons he has his biggest fantasy year ever is because he got to hit second all year, no mm-hmm. competition from Ozzy Albies who didn't play well and then got hurt. They kept Swanson in at second, basically the whole season that really drove up his value because of the type of hitter that he is. He's not so valuable batting six that nobody would be. So right. I'm interested to see what team takes him and where they let him hit. So that that'll be a big deal, but I'm excited to go back into that breakdown, especially with more pieces of that puzzle put together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, that slams the lid on things for today. That was Scott Chu. You could follow him at if the Chu fits, you could follow me at Joe Galena. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Enjoy the holiday season. Enjoy the holidays, everyone. Uh, remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast content from and leave us a nice review. And uh, as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time.